Welcome back everybody to Uncensored CMO. Now, if I was asking you to think about the best job in marketing, I wonder what would come to your mind. Well, I think my next guest has quite possibly one of the best jobs. She is the CMO of Tourism Australia, and it's her job to get as many people considering a holiday in Australia as possible. Now, Tourism Australia first came to my attention a couple of years ago during COVID because they did the rather unusual thing of advertising Australia where nobody could go. I mean, it's quite astonishing, really. And if ever there was a case for advertising during a recession or during difficult times, I think Tourism Australia probably have it because literally they could do nothing with the borders closed. Now, over the last couple of years, Susan and the team at Tourism Australia have been coming up with a brand new global campaign to encourage tourists to go back to Australia now that the borders have opened up again and now that people can travel. It launched a couple of weeks ago with a big fanfare in New York, and it is quite possibly one of the best campaigns of the year. I'm rather privileged because I work at System One for my day job, and we test Tourism Australia adverts, and I can tell you this is comfortably one of the best ads you're going to see this year it delivers on absolutely every front so i thought now might be a good time to catch up with the cmo susan cocker and find out what it's like being the cmo one of the best and most exciting brands in the world and to tell us a bit more about how she made this fantastic new campaign so here's my conversation with susan cocker Welcome, Susan. Oh, my gosh, John. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. God, I hope I can live up to that. And if I can also just reiterate, I really do have the best job in the world, I have to say. It's a dream. If you wrote a list of like jobs you'd like to do, this has got to be up there, right? Yeah, exactly. The country I love, it's you know travel, it's holidays, it's things that make people happy. It's a creative environment. Yeah, it's pretty much got everything that one could hope for. I would love to know, what does the CMO of Tourism Australia do? The sole thing that we are responsible for, well, now that our borders are reopened, of course, we are all about driving international tourism back to Australia. And that is largely about leisure travel, but we do also focus on business travel as well. But, you know, building the brand Australia, enticing the people to come down and have the holiday of their lives is really what it's amazing. Do you have KPIs? And if so, I mean, are they like number of visitors? Are they satisfaction scores? How do you measure your, your own success? Yes. So of course we have KPIs, you know, and, and despite the fact that we are, you know, a, a government agency, you know, we try to be as commercial as possible. At a high level, it's around expenditure. So we keep an eye on visitation. We keep an eye you know, across our 15 key markets, certainly. We are focusing on the high-yielding travelers, so getting the right travelers down to Australia. So we aren't about profitless volume. We are making sure that we are maximizing the visitation that we do get down to Australia. And then, of course, look, our KPIs then, you know, at a marketing level, I try and make sure that we are driving consideration. We've done a lot of work over the past couple of years to understand exactly where in the customer journey do we have the most impact. We obviously have a very robust tourism industry down here in Australia, so we have a lot of partners that we work with to help convert. We don't sell ourselves, you know, so we make sure that we set up our partners for success. For us, it's all about winning in consideration. If we are able to widen the pool of high-yielding travelers who are considering coming to Australia, we know then that we can partner with the right travel agent partners, airlines, etc., to help convert that demand all the way through the funnel. So is there like a, a big league table somewhere in, in your team that's got like highest consideration market, you know, destinations in the world? Yeah, we, you know, we actually have done a lot of research again the past couple of years to understand, again, across our 15 markets, where do they want to go? Who is our closest competitor? Here's our, who is our biggest competitor? What are the demand drivers for each of those destinations? How do we compare against those? So yeah, we, we've done a real deep dive, I guess, into each of our markets to make sure that we do understand that. And it does vary a bit by market. And there's no surprise, things like geography, certainly play a, a factor in that. Yeah. What country tops the list in terms of competition with Australia for for those tourism dollars? Yeah, well, look, you know, look, New Zealand is, uh, you know, probably our, our biggest frenemy, if you will, you know, being as close <laughs> down here. We, we, we obviously are trying to attract the same high yielding travelers. Japan has, has risen as a competitor in recent years. They're very fashionable. They're very interesting. They've got a very multifaceted offer. And look, the US is, of course, always a big draw and, you know, the old favorites, you know, the France's and the Italy's, etc. Brilliant. It sounds a lot of fun. Now, of course, you know, two, three years ago now, 
we all went through COVID mm. and every business had to pivot. Every business had to kind of figure out what to do. Lots of conversations about what do you do when, you know, do you keep advertising, you know, through, through difficult times? You, you had an astonishing challenge because what you're selling was no longer available, was it? it, it you know, because Australia completely closed its borders. How long was Australia shut for? It, it felt like a long time. Uh, it really did. You know, it was right around two years or so. And, you know, we, we had our internal border closures as well, which was a bit of a challenge for our tourism industry, certainly. And we really missed our international visitors. As a tour, tourism industry, you know, they make up such an important part of, of the business in our major cities and some of our iconic destinations. We know our international visitors tend to spend on experiences in a way that domestic travelers don't always do. There's just, there's a natural human behavior around how you invest in travel or a holiday. The closer you are to home, the sort of less special it is and less likely you are to invest in, whether it's a special dinner or that extra bottle of wine, or, you know, I joke about spending 30 euros for the photo with the with the centurion at the Colosseum in Rome, for example. Someone's, you know, you won't do that at home because it doesn't seem that special, but you'll do it when you're on a holiday yeah. in Italy, for example. Yeah. So yeah, it was very challenging for our, our industry. We really needed to get our international visitors back as soon as possible. Mm. But we also needed to make sure that they didn't forget about us, you know, while those borders mm. were closed. And when it happened, we we had, look, the world, nobody knew what was going to happen. None of us knew how long it was going to last for. But what we did know is that going dark meant, you know, losing share of mind, share of heart, ultimately share of wallet. We know that, you know, it takes twice as long and costs twice as much, you know, roughly speaking, to to rebuild your market share if you do go dark. So we made sure, look, we weren't spending at the same levels that we we did before the pandemic, but we made sure that we were spending enough to, to stay top of mind. And we also kind of benefited from the fact that other destinations went really quiet and went really dark. So the fact that we, we had reduced our spend didn't matter quite as much because we seemed to have a bigger share voice, if you will. Yeah. It was mm. funny, actually, because at System One, when when COVID happened, we, we set up a, a COVID tracker and we actually tested, I think it was 700 COVID ads <laughs> in like in like about six weeks because we just thought this is really fascinating moment in our history. No one's ever been through this before. What does it mean for advertising? What messages are people saying? Who's advertising? I mean, two things stuck out. The, the first one was I was really surprised to see a tourism brand advertising. I was like, this is incredible, right? Someone who literally is market has disappeared overnight so you know credit to taking a long-term view but also you did a beautiful film about Australia which what I loved about it was most people in COVID decided to sort of lean into COVID so in these times people wearing masks people on Zoom and you know it was really fascinating from a system one point of view because it, it brought out all the negative emotions and associations that we had with what we were going through, you know, loss of loved ones and restrictions. It was, it was awful. What you did brilliantly was remind us what we'll, we'll come back to in the yeah, future. Yeah, what was on the other side of this. And and what I found was really interesting because we, we, we tracked um, COVID advertising in the end for about six months and there was a real change. And what we found was by the first Christmas, Anybody that referenced COVID, even subtly, all their scores went down. And anybody that reminded everybody about being together, you know, traveling, anything that we had lost temporarily, it was like it was doubly effective. Yeah, a moment of joy. Yeah, bringing back a little bit of levity in life. Yeah, again, just keeping that dream of the Australian holiday. I mean, we are a highly desirable destination. You know, we know that people in whether it's US or UK, you know, a lot of them have a, a dream of that holiday. They want to come down. We just want to keep that picture in mind. You know, we want to be very visual. We wanted to, to you know, have a bit of a sensory experience, if you will. And that's why we even started doing content initiatives like our 8D series as well. So whilst you couldn't visit Australia, you could have a, a sort of surround sound audio visual experience through those through that series of content so yeah I wanted to give people a taste of it while we could how did you raise the money to do this it's quite a bold move isn't it to invest in a brand that is actually not for sale in the short term yeah well did, did you have to do like a, a pitch to get money or or did the Australian government sort of make you know take a long-term view of 
of, of tourism? Yeah, look, the Australian government took a long-term view of tourism, and we were tasked actually with doing two things. One was we pivoted back into the domestic market, so we hadn't been uh, operating domestically in probably over eight years or so. So we were tasked with helping encourage Australians to travel differently. So as I, I described before, getting them to go further, stay longer, do more experiences. So we had a very impactful campaign with some local talent with Hamish and Zoe Blake down here with fantastic cut through. We actually won an Effie for that. And I'm very proud of that. It was the only Effie in the travel and tourism category for two years. Wow. So we were very, we were very busy doing that. But then, you know, we were also tasked with making sure that we, you know, kept again, that dream alive of the Australian holiday, that we kept those audiences warm so that when the borders did open again, that we would top of mind for, for booking that next holiday. And also making sure that the trade and market knows that we are not leaving them high and dry, that we are, you know, going to be supporting them, keeping our destination on the consideration set with those high yielding travelers so that they are have a warm audience to convert at the other side. And I guess making sure that, that we had the B2B as well as that, you know, consumer message strong was really important to us. And in fact, we actually had a whole training program. We have our Aussie specialist program where we train, you know, I don't know, 30, 35,000 agents over the course of a year. And we really ramped that up through the pandemic as well. And I think we ended up getting something like 80,000 training sessions or something like that through the pandemic, which is an incredible amount, again, for a destination that they weren't able to book. But we knew that investing in our trade partners would would put us in, in good standing for when we did reopen. Well, what I love about how you've described it there is, is, is taking what is a pretty catastrophic event but actually investing so that when you come out of it and, you know, we're on the other side, you're in a stronger position, aren't you, in terms of B2B partnerships, you know, demand for Australia around the world. That's, that's a really good, good, I think there's a lot there we can learn. And it's also about confidence. Like I said, you know, making sure that, that they know that we believe in the destination and that, it, that business will come back. And that's why when when the borders did reopen back in at the end of February, I think it was, you know, we scrambled really quickly to try and get out there with some high profile placements, whether it was, you know, we we bought spots around the Super Bowl in broadcast in L.A., which is one of our key feeder markets. We bought, you know, high impact outdoor in Piccadilly in London and Times Square, et cetera, because these are just a wonderful signal to our trade as much as consumers that ex- that Australia is open, that we're loud and proud and we're ready to welcome the world back down. Now, let's get into your new campaign, shall we? Come and say good day. So how long has this been in the in the planning? Oh, it feels like forever. <laughs> Look, we started thinking about our brand actually at the end of the bushfire back in 2020, I guess it was, because as you know, we had that wonderful campaign with Kylie Minogue, our mate song campaign, that love song from Australia to the UK. We had to pause it because of what was happening with the bushfires. Um, mm. And through that, we started thinking, okay, right, how do we um, how do we rebuild our brand? How do we make sure that the world knows that there's still nothing like Australia, that not all of Australia was ruined? And sure enough, you know, just as we were starting to, I guess, roll out a new campaign in that space, we got hit with the pandemic and it just threw everything up in the air again. So we pivoted to domestic. We started really researching sort of our customers, all of our markets, 15 across Eastern and Western markets, understanding what they think about Australia, what they think about us as a destination, what we have to offer. The impact of the bushfires, which surprisingly, in the middle of the pandemic, quite quickly, the bushfires were sort of wiped from consumers' memories pretty quickly. So we started thinking, yeah, we started working on a new brand strategy. We started thinking about how do we represent ourselves to the world. Once the borders reopened, we went through a couple of rounds of creative development. And we landed on this idea, this, this come and say good day idea with our characters, Ruby and Louie, back in, I think it was April of 2021. So this particular idea has been cooking for about a year and a half before we brought it to market. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of the things I'm fascinated about your your, your creative challenge is, is you, you talk about 15 markets. That's a, that's a big audience across the world, incorporating very different cultures. How does like people's perceptions and awareness of Australia vary across the world? Or, or is it fairly consistent? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think look, when you think about the high yielding traveler, you know, there's more similarities across that type of traveling audience, to be honest, across our international markets than you would think. And certainly, look, there are some markets that have co- closer cultural connections. So if you think the US and you or excuse me, the UK and Australia, very strong cultural connections, strong historical connections. You know, places like India, there's a strong sporting connection, for example, which we've leveraged as a platform just recently as well. But ultimately, you know, people love us for, you know, our great beaches, our wonderful wildlife, you know, our very enviable lifestyle and that charming, you know, welcoming Aussie nature. And that's what we leaned into in this campaign. 
Definitely. Now let, let's get into the campaign itself because it, it is very impressive. It's it feels like a Hollywood blockbuster. When I, when you first sent it to me, I was like, that is just amazing. I mean, it, it, as I said to you, it's, it's it's a really really good thing. Just just so everyone, because obviously we're doing audio for everyone listening, can yes. you just just describe the the campaign idea? Yes, yes. Well, the premise is really simple and super lovely. And it is, there is a souvenir kangaroo who's going to show you around Australia. I mean, that alone is a really unique way to tell a tourism story or to showcase a destination. Beautiful, isn't it? People say it holds sacred wisdom. I've always dreamt I'd travel Australia and see it in real life. But then the idea that she is partnered with this sort of fish out of water, if you will, and in this unicorn character that's put down on the shelf next to her in a gift shop. Ta-da! <gasps> Thank you for coming out. Great crowd. <laughs> Looking great. Look at you. And they go, and, and she shows this unicorn around Australia. That premise then just takes it to another level, and it, it allows us to put the international visitor, you know, sort of looking at the story through the, through Louis's eyes. The, that's the unicorn. And we love that. And we love the fact that the kangaroo, that Ruby, not only is she, you know, this wonderful wonderful, distinctive brand asset for us. I mean, we we invested a significant amount of time and, and uh, resource into researching our brand codes across all of our markets. And no surprise, the answer was kangaroo. But yes, yeah, so we love the idea that it's a brand code in, in using kangaroo, but we also, you know, took it to another level by making her a souvenir, which sort of lives in the world of travel and tourism. And then, you know, we, we set the story starting in a gift shop or in, in a souvenir shop, if you will, on the Great Barrier Reef. And Ruby is the souvenir who's been stuck in her box on a shelf, dreaming of getting out and exploring the country. And she loves Australia, but she's just never been out there. And so then the story, as I said, you know, Louis is accidentally put on the shelf next to her amongst a whole bunch of other Australiana sort of souvenirs. And they strike up an immediate friendship. She thinks that he's magic and therefore he can help her escape. Sure enough, he does. By the way, side note, just on the point around sort of referencing the pandemic or not, one of the things that we liked about this, and I don't think it was necessarily a conscious decision or input from the creatives um, at MNC. But it's, it ended up being quite clever. There's a little bit of a metaphor there of Ruby being kept in a box and cooped up and not getting out, not being able to get out and travel and see the country that she wants to. So we just sort of love the layering, I guess, of, of a bit of a nod to what people have been living through and being able to, I guess, see her go through that emotion of, of being free to go hop around the country. So anyway, so our little two characters then, they, he busts her out of her box, busts her out of the gift shop. They find themselves on the Great Barrier Reef before they go hopping around the country having an adventure, discovering their friendship, discovering he's not actually magic, that he's a fraudicorn, as he calls himself. I love that line. <laughs> uh, and ultimately uh, landing at Uluru, where uh, they learn about Uluru, its history, the Anunu people. We see a couple of indigenous guides, Freddie and Charmaine, telling the story of Uluru. Charmaine actually speaking in Pijanjara, the language of the Anunu people, which is a really wonderful opportunity to showcase some of our indigenous languages. And there we have a, a resolution where we see Rose at the end where she, you know, extends a warm invitation to the world to come and say good day. Yeah, before we we close scene on Uluru and the hear, hear the Irwi women's choir rise up in the music in the background. <laughs> Magical, truly magical. Now, of course, now I've done a few campaigns in my career, and I've sat in those meetings, and and you you might just go, shall we do a sixty seconds? Oh, can I get a sixty seconds? You know, away. Can I get permission to do that? You went a bit further than sixty seconds, though, didn't you, with your headline film? You went nine minutes, ladies and gentlemen, nine minutes. So, <laughs> talk me through why. <laughs> Nine minutes, yes. Is it indulgent? Well, look, we didn't necessarily start out saying let's make a nine-minute movie by any means. But look, this story just took on a life of its its own. These two characters, the journey that they went on, it just felt like a bigger story that had to be told. We wanted to lean into entertainment as a way to kind of break through that barrier with consumers. People don't care about advertising. They don't care about brands necessarily. But if we can take a moment to reward them with a great story and and a bit of fun. We felt that we could capture, you know, again, the hearts and minds. We got a great director on board with Michael Gracie, who, you know, he was so perfect for this because he actually started his career early on in special effects and animation, working at, I think, Animal Logic before he became a commercial director. So he's a very well-known, very accomplished advertising director. Um, but he has recently made a foray into feature film directing with The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. So here's this amazing Australian talent who gets animation 
who gets advertising and commercial messaging, but also understands entertainment. And he just helped us build out the story and find a way to make it more fun and more engaging and more layered and nuanced. And it just sort of, I don't know, I guess the story just demanded a little bit more time. And I guess we just needed to kind of check out all this sort of conventional wisdom that th that's out there now that people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, that they're only watching, you know, 30, 15, six second ads anymore. We know that if you make great content, people will watch it, people will engage with it. And just look at things like, you know, TikTok. TikTok has started to expand the length of their their film now even to 10 minutes as well. So it's just got to be really good content. So we, we, we went for it. I mean, there's such a good point here, isn't there? And I mean, Orlando in his book talks about the importance of unfolding stories in capturing our attention. And also, I think it was Paul Felbick that talks about the importance of advertising to put on a show. Right. Because, you know, it's like the greatest showman, actually. And that's a good a good way of thinking about advertising, because then, you know, the, the, rather than tell the consumer what we want them to think and sort of bludgeon them into submission, you know, we, we need to seduce them, you know, and, and think like a Hollywood director as you, as you did. Yes, absolutely. And we talk, you know, we talked a lot about um, look, there's certainly corners of tourism marketing and destination marketing that are able to rely on beautiful destination and scenery, you know, and, and not always have an idea at the center of it. We just felt that actually our destination was worth so much more, that it, there is a story that can unfold in it. And, you know, that old adage of people won't remember what you told them, but they'll remember how you made them feel would still be true, whether it was how you treat a person in person or how you treat them through advertising. So we, that, that I guess was a principle of developing this campaign. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to that because you're absolutely right. How you make people feel is so important. You do that very well. We'll come back to that. I was fascinated by the reaction to, to, to the campaign. <laughs> Pretty global response was amazing. I mean, I you know, checked out your YouTube, checked out Facebook, LinkedIn. Pretty amazing. Mm. There were a few people that didn't like the campaign. Mm. There were two really interesting things about the some of the reactions yes. uh, on LinkedIn by Australians as well, which is just, well, the first reminder, which I know a lot of people said this, remind us, you are not the audience. And it's really interesting that, isn't it? It's, it just shows you the importance of when you're making advertising to make sure you put yourself in your audience's shoes, you know, and, and your preconceptions. But imagine in, in, in tourism, where I mean, it'd be the same for me, right? I, I, I've hardly been to any tourist destinations in London. And I go to London three or four times a week. But I, I haven't been to Big Ben. I haven't been to the Tower of London, right? I mean, it's insane. I'm clearly, clearly American. You can tell by my accent. American born anyway, also Australian. P.S. I have never been up the Statue of Liberty. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, you know, but are those two top attractions for international visitors to America? Absolutely. And I can honestly, yeah. I can hand on heart say that when people see a kangaroo for the first time, they absolutely melt. They fall over themselves. So criticisms around, aren't we more than a kangaroo? People don't really travel here for a kangaroo. A hundred percent they do. I can tell you right now, they absolutely do. And look, I would say in terms of, of that, the you know, negative response in some foreigners, it's one of those things that I think I think there's a couple of things happening. One, I'd say, I think it is actually a relatively small, but, you know, vocal amount of people on with, on LinkedIn or a few clickbaity headlines. And you actually kind of get beneath the surface of clickbaity headlines. The articles were, tend to be actually quite positive, actually. I guess the other thing is there is, it's an interesting sort of social science, I think, that we have in destination marketing in that I have to look at what is it that motivates people about coming to Australia? What do they know and love about Australia? Which is not always the same as what Australians think about themselves and how they want to be portrayed or how they want to be seen in the world. You know, there's there's a gap between those two things. And I think that is fascinating. Ultimately, we have to focus on what will attract the international visitors and hope that we bring the Australians along, you know. And I guess the third thing I would say is I'm actually confident that everyday Australians really do love this because we tested it in Australia and it came back working its socks off. We see commentary from everyday Australians on the YouTube video. We see it on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. They actually really love it. And I would even say, even on LinkedIn, the amount of commentary as the campaign unfolded and people saw the breadth of the of the campaign and all of the creative, there was a lot of commentary going, as an Australian, I bloody love this, you know? As an Australian, I can see yeah. what you've done and why, you know? And I trust yeah. that, yeah. I, I do trust that that good savvy marketers will understand what we've done and why and how it works, you know? I had some fun. I went in and answered, you know, some questions and some feedback. I, I did. saw, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> look, I don't normally do that because I kind of love it. People are entitled to their opinions. It's fine. But I... 
There was so much that was put into this, and it is so layered. And despite some commentary, there's, it's not just the film or the 60 second ad, obviously, that people have seen and are commenting on. There, that is tip of the iceberg. There is a breadth and depth of messaging and assets that each of our markets will take and use and make their own based on what their individual consumers need. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure that people kind of had that context, you know, or I wanted people to understand you know, the music choice, you know, we went with the song, you know, we went with a version of Down Under. And we debated about using the original Men at Work track, which, you know, I have to admit, I was, you know, kind of partial to because I really, you know, child of the 80s myself. And I I often say that, you know, probably Paul Hogan, Men at Work and In Excess, which was the soundtrack to my college years, you know, big impact on me choosing to ultimately come live in, in Australia and become an Australian. Yeah. So using Down Under and doing a new spin on it, it was such a wonderful opportunity to give a young band a crack at use at taking a piece again of Australiana and and doing a new version of it. And we got King Stingray, this up and coming group from Northeast Arnhem Land, do their interpretation of it. They sing in English and Yolnumata, the language of, of their area. And they worked with Colin Hay on doing this new version of it. So reinterpreting it, putting a new spin on it was incredible. And I'd love the opportunity to tell that fuller story to some average punters who were commenting on LinkedIn. And I was actually surprised how people responded. You know, most people kind of went, oh, yeah, I get it. I see what you've done. Now that's quite interesting. You know, if you said, I've really changed my mind on this. And I know I can't go out and do, tell every consumer that. But again, the consumers have responded so well to the campaign. They actually get it. It was people being opinionated on LinkedIn that that maybe were, yeah. were missing some of the the joy of it. Well, fortunately, they're not the audience. So, yeah, um, exactly. You know, the ones that matter, and we'll come back to, we, you know, we know the ones that matter, loved it, which is which is great. Just to talk about the music as well, you know, I mean, at System, when we, you know, we give lots of advice on how to, mm. you know, make, make effective advertising, one of the most powerful things you can do is the music. Yes. And I think in my career, I, I've under-recognized that, actually. And, right. and, you know, we've tested lots of different films with different soundtracks. It makes a massive difference. And I mean, not only is it a very well-known popular song, it felt fresh the way you did it as well. It felt familiar, but a little bit different. And and it felt, it felt very Australian as, you know. In yeah, terms it's good of Aussie the, rock, you know, isn't it? The, you know, if I were to invent something that yes. describes, you know, Aussie music, that would yeah. be it. You know? well, I, the, so the band it, describes yeah. their sound as your new surf rock, which I just, I love that. That's yeah. a, a fantastic yeah. description. Yeah. And and I think, you know, because I, I think as I was saying in my, my LinkedIn post on it, that, you know, a, a, any tourism destination can probably find beautiful beaches and couples having a nice time and sunsets and, you know, mountains and, and all those kind of things. But what I loved about what you did and what I think so many advertisers can learn is that you you built in so many distinctively Australian assets into it, didn't you? It, it, there were so many layers to it that meant it was impossible not to a feel something as we talked about earlier but also associate that feeling with australia i mean the music was one i mean celebrity was another one that i think was was really clever both so tell me about the voiceover and roseburn as well with a little cameo at the end yeah yeah and look i look just just on destination marketing and you say look everybody every country has a great proposition on whether it be food or nature whatever it is and everybody everybody wants to kind of Say theirs is the best. Of course, we obviously know Australia obviously literally does have the best, but we didn't want to get into that battle for better around who's got better beaches. We wanted to make sure that we were telling a distinctive story. We were making sure that ours stood apart. And yeah, I guess that, that that was key, really. That was central to the brief to the agency of going, it has to be unmistakably, undeniably distinctly Australian. And that needs to pull through in absolutely everything that we have. The music was really central to that. The talent, we love to use great Australian talent. We are a wonderful exporter of of talent to the world. Looking at one, our, one of our must-win markets this year was the US, certainly, and the UK. Rose Byrne was just a wonderful choice to help bring Ruby to life. We wanted, we made Ruby a, a, a female kangaroo on purpose. We wanted to lean into a bit of more female energy with this particular campaign. And Rose is just having this wonderful moment, I guess, in, in with her physical series being renewed for the third season on Apple TV+. Plus. She's got another series coming out. She's got a movie out. She's started a production company. She's just really fabulous Australian talent. We used Will Arnett to do the voice of Louis the Unicorn, and he is obviously Canadian-American, you know, also known as the voiceover king. Well, he's known for being Job in Arrested Development, of course, but he's done such amazing voiceover work across loads of movies, not least of which is Batman in the Lego Batman movie. 
movie. So anybody who has kids or might be a, a Lego or Batman fan would know his voice. And also he's just he an incredible professional voiceover talent. He brought so much humor and fun and joy to the role. And we love the juxtaposition of that sort of gravelly, masculine, you know, slightly inappropriate humor type of voice to this little, you know, sparkly pink and blue unicorn character. And the two of them just had really good chemistry together. So, yeah. It worked very well. And, and, and humor actually is an underutilized feature in advertising as well. I mean, Orlando's done some work on the decline of humor, you know, as an asset, which, which is lovely to see that. We, and, you know, Australians are known for their sense of humor, that's right. aren't they? Yeah, and, cheekiness. Yeah. And we wanted this to be joyful. I mean, as you said, we're coming through a really challenging, this shared moment of really challenging times and, and sort of, of stress and loss. And, and the world continues to be a, a challenging place for many reasons, as we know. We wanted the idea of coming to Australia for a wonderful holiday to inspire people and bring a little bit of lightness and levity and joy. And, and and the other the other distinctive device as well I thought was was great is good day. I mean, like I, I, maybe it's because I grew up with neighbours. I don't know, but that like if you said to me an Australian phrase, that would be it, right? Does that test globally? Does is, is good day sort of you know? All around the is that something yeah. universal? It, look, it's it as you would expect. It's more well known in some markets than other than others, and you know, it's it's just such a um, a, a distinctive word, a distinctive sound. I think coming from us, coming from Australians, it's very funny. I think you're probably hearing me say that with my American accent, but yeah. But look, it is it is our bonjour, it is our konnichiwa, it is our aloha, so to speak. You know, and it's a word that that nobody else is going to to be able to use with the same charm and and flair as an Australian. So. And look, I guess the other thing is, is it does harken back to the Paul Hogan campaign from the 80s, where, you know, he asked or invited Americans to throw another shrimp on the barbie and come down and say good day. So we loved we loved a little bit of nostalgia that would come through a little bit of a nod to to what Paul did for tourism. You know, he, he really, you know, set our market on fire back in the 80s and, and put us on the map. And look, nostalgia was another theme, I think, that we wanted to pull through on that. You know, even as we we told a very modern story and we did it in modern techniques with CGI, etc. But, you know, again, the music going back to a track from the 80s. And look, even before we landed on Down Under, you know, my brief to the agency was was think about, you know, songs from the 70s and 80s as just something wonderful and joyful, might feel like a lighter, better time. In fact, we even tested different iterations of our animatic with, with System 1 to understand what worked best. Not surprisingly, Down Under kind of beat every single one of them. But yeah, we just, we wanted to pull on as, pull on as many levers as we could, you know, and, and Nostalgia was another one. I mean, even you talking, you just give me flashbacks to Mick Dundee. And that's not a knife. That, that scene where he got, I was just like, you know, one of my favorite scenes of all time. You, you mentioned you mentioned testing there. Now, if I've read the headlines right, you invested $125 million. Is that right? Yes, over two campaign? years. Yes, we will be. Two, two years, 15 markets. It's not as much as it sounds. It's a very big headline number, you know, but when you think about the job we have to do across the number of markets we have to do it in, the the competition that we're up against, you know, and the, getting cut through, getting share of voice is is incredibly important. So yeah, it is a, it is a big number. It is, it is. <laughs> now, presumably you don't just get given the money and go away and just run away and spend it, right? You, no. You've got to come back to come back to the board and explain what you're doing with it, which, which brings us on yes. to the testing of course yes you know and, and I, I, again I, I you know similar to you i've had to sort of sing for my supper or whatever the phrase is how have you approached the role of testing in the development of this campaign when do you go on instinct and when do you go when do you kind of go and see what the people think yeah it's look it's interesting i would say i i haven't always been the biggest fan of pre-testing necessarily because i think there have i haven't always had the best experience maybe with the outcomes, you know, it wasn't always as sort of nuanced or sensitive. We needed to find a partner that that could help guide us in the development, give us the insights that we needed, that could do it at scale, that could do it objectively and could do it quickly for us because we were moving pretty quickly and could work across multiple markets. So yeah, quite honestly, yes, that's absolutely right. You know, working with System One, um, a silver bullet in many, many ways. I am a big believer in doing your research upfront as much as possible. So making sure you've got all of the right inputs, the right data, the right analysis and the right insights so that what you're developing, you know, is in the right sandbox, so to speak. Now we have a very complex job to do in that we are landing a nation brand that has to work across 15 markets, East, West, English, non-English speaking, et cetera. So we really needed to know how that idea worked 
But as you rightly pointed out, I've also got 26 million stakeholders of all Australians who keep an eye on what we do. You know, we've got my board, but our minister and our government, they all need to have confidence in the choices that we're making, that we are spending taxpayers' money wisely. And so doing the research with System One really did help us understand how it was working, how we could make improvements. And we went through multiple rounds of, of testing and sort of refined and tweaked along the way. And I would say it was a invaluable with my stakeholders. And it was invaluable when we finally went external and started sharing it with the tourism industry. And I could say, look, this isn't just what I think works. It's not just what 10 people in a room eating cold pizza say, I reckon thinks, you know, this is actually tested at scale across multiple markets. And it was funny, even when we started doing briefings in Australia with media, we actually talked about the research and the role that it played and, you know, the confidence that it gave us. And it made its way into into some of the articles around the campaign as well. It did. It was great to see. Uh, you're right. You do have so many stakeholders. And, and presumably, I mean, Australia's not one country. It's lots of territories and regions, isn't it? And do, do they all vie for attention in, in what you do? How does that how does that work? How do you, you know? So, um, I mean, look, it's a very delicate balancing act because on one hand, as a national tourism organization, we do have a responsibility to do an all of Australia job. And we want to showcase the breadth and depth of the country. We want to make sure that we are showing, we talk a lot about being fresh and familiar. So yes, we lean into the icons because that is shorthand for Australia, but we need to stretch people's understanding into new and different experiences around the country. But equally, we have to make sure that we are leaning into those things that immediately are are they set the consumer in the mindset of, yes, this is Australia, and that's the storyline. Without that, without that shorthand, you know, we're just not going to be nearly as effective as we need to be. And I would say, look, all of our state and territory partners really do understand that. They are quite practical. They also know that the film and the TV assets that we create, again, tip of the iceberg, we create an incredible body of work that really does tell the broader story. Not only that, though, we also do a lot of content marketing. So we will do content partnerships with, you know, The Telegraph in the UK, or we actually have just done a special edition of of Le Figaro Travel, like a 70-page special edition all around holiday travel in Australia to support the launch of the campaign. So we make sure that travelers, you know, are well-equipped with the information that they need to plan their best Australian holiday, not just the icons that they see in the campaign, but actually, you know, breadth of experiences. That makes complete sense, doesn't mm. it? Get, get get the whole funnel work working properly, and presumably, I, I'm guessing. But the more people that visit Australia, it, it's like a, a rising tide that floats all the boats in, across the state, doesn't it? So yes, yeah. everyone benefits, you know, yeah. from, from more people coming across. Just on the testing, do you, I, I'm intrigued to know because I remember when you asked you asked my advice on the the, the animatic testing score, and it was because I don't think I've ever had anyone come to me and said we got a four star animatic. Is it good enough? Sort of thing. Because anyone getting a four star is usually open the champagne moment right getting a four star in animatic is like hang on a second i'm like knocking ahead we usually get a five and i've only got a four in the animatic stage because anyone listening that doesn't you know not familiar with testing when you test a when you test a storyboard or what what we call animatics are like a cartoon version of an idea it always scores lower right because people are they don't get the full production values they don't you know the actors are not necessarily real that kind of thing that's why it scores lower it's very 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 unusual to get a four star I, I think I've come across that once or maybe twice before sort of thing is that right God well we had but we had worked together doing the research so when we went back in the domestic market I needed to understand you know what what type of tourism marketing works in Australia you know again hadn't been here in a long time so we put our ads into testing we put a whole bunch of other ads from our category our competitors in, into system one to get a real read on the domestic market so and we did put our finished ads in to be fair and again they we, we were lucky enough that they came out incredibly effective they came out with five stars which again probably no surprise because those were the ads that turned around and gave us the effie by the way so yeah I guess I did have expectations that were, were quite high you know and I actually what I remember from that meeting of us sitting down and and me have you know having probably a puzzled look on my face asking you a few questions i feel like you you probably recognized a former version of yourself you were explaining to me when you were trying to sell in some work at with a former employer and your CEO kind of, you know, if, only if you can guarantee me sort of thing. And you're like, I see that look in your eyes, Susan. I know what you're going through, you know. <laughs> you're looking for reassurance for your stakeholders. <laughs> yeah, that's deja vu. And look, and look, when you, I, I know when you're in it as well and, and you, you're, you're dealing with so many stakeholders, you can be overly critical of yourself, can't you? Because, you know, you're, you're spotting the things that 
you feel may not be right. And then, of course, you go out and talk to the audience. They go, we love this. Yes. This is brilliant. <laughs> yes. I, I'm wondering what kind of benchmark you're going to set now. So you, you were you were ad, our ad of the week last week. So 5.6 star. Well done. Congratulations. That is for people listening. So we got a five-star scale at System 1 and... 1% of all ads that we test get to five star. 5.6 star puts you in 0.1% of those ads. It would probably be the top, it would probably make the top 20 ads of this year, probably on our database. So uh, Fingers crossed. some Christmas ads might get 5.8, 5.9. It's very, very high up there. Like, where do you go next, right? I mean... Do we have to invent a new scale, 5.99 or something? Bust into the sixes, I think. By the way, just on the Christmas point, look, there, there is no doubt that part of the brief to the agency was that we wanted to, well, we looked at those peak advertising moments, be it Super Bowl, be it Christmas, be it Chinese New Year, for example, in Asia, going, what makes the advertising that cuts through in those time, that time of year so special and so wonderful? How can we do that on our launch campaign and across the breadth of the campaign that will run over time as well. So we were hoping to kind of be in that sort of lofty vaulted, you know, echelon of, of advertising. In terms of what's next, I mean, look, we 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 love Ruby. We want to keep using her. She's this wonderful brand asset for us, this branded character. We know from research that branded characters perform so well in getting cut through and being distinctive. You know, we we would be insane to create a character like Ruby and not continue to use her and take her on another journey and another adventure. The other beautiful thing about her as a character is we obviously have her in English. Ruby, she's voiced by Rose Byrne in our English-speaking markets. But for Japan, for Korea, for Germany, for example, we were able to get local talent and do a really amazing dubbing. And I don't know if you have looked at the dubs, the other language versions on YouTube, but they're phenomenal. You know, and Germany as a market in particular is amazing at doing dubs. They have a whole sort of award show just around great dubbing, you know. And, right. and that makes the campaign so much more relevant and so much and get so much more cut through in those markets. Our partners in those markets were were really, really excited about having a campaign with this type of cut through that didn't require subtitles, for example. So there's a real power in that. So yeah, we want to we want to do more with her, you know, whether we do something right. you know, around the Women's World Cup or, you know, maybe when China opens, we'll be able to do something specifically for the China market. You know, we know that the the characters work in different ways in Eastern and Western markets, you know, are are our Eastern markets are really gravitate to these CGI animated characters. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had with them. Very well said. I mean, a, a bit of work Orlando did actually on characters and uh, he looked at award, IPA award winners mm -hmm. over many, many years. And I think uh, if you go back 15 years, for over 40% of award winners had a character. Mm. And last year that was down, I think, 10 or 15%. So they're funny? very out of fashion. It's really, I know. And yet so much evidence yeah. for why they work. And well, one of one of our other customers, Aldi, Kevin the Carrot, they won Christmas last year. And the, 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 the thing that will encourage you is that the more familiar the characters get, the better and more effective they become. So, you know, Ruby's going to pay off for a long time. Oh, God, I hope so. And also the, mm. you know, the first one is always going to be the hardest one. You know, it, for us, the, the production process took quite a long time, not so much because the animation, although there's a bit of work there, obviously. But like we were hindered by border closures, COVID outbreaks. La Nina was really challenging for us this year, quite honestly. And we had to postpone quite a few shoots. And I think being able to get the first one off the ground, get people's confidence in it, in the idea and the characters will just make it so much easier when we... When when we do the next iteration, the next version, we can push the boat out even further. Now, obvious question for you. I just thought of it now. Are you going to make a physical Ruby? Oh Is she going to be in airports around the world? <laughs> well, the funny... On, on Qantas? Yes, like... yes. Well, we look, we purposely didn't, because from a sustainability perspective, we wanted to be mindful of, of not, you know, uh, can we do it in a sustainable way? But I have to say, it has been the number one question. When we went and did all of our industry roundtables, Literally, the first question every single group was, where am I going to be able to get a ruby? Or I can sell the rubies in my gift shop. <laughs> so we, yeah, look, we are starting to look into it. How can we do it in a way that it really looks like ruby? It's got to have, you know, creative integrity, needs to be done sustainably, needs to be made in Australia, obviously. So we're, we are looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like we have a, a upmarket retailer called M and S, and they've got like Percy pigs, which are these these little 
Piggy Sweets, right? Insanely popular. And they were very, very late to the past. They finally realized that this character they've had for so many years, and they, they put Percy Pig in the, in the, they created an ad last year. did really, really well. Not quite as good as yours, but very well indeed. And then they, they finally figured it out because there's Percy everything. And my daughter is a massive fan. And she's got like Percy onesie, like Percy pillows, per, like everything Percy. I mean, it just, if, if, if it exists, there's a Percy version of it. But it, it's been been phenomenally successful we got to get her onto ruby then we'll have to get her some ruby merch yeah 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 yeah. oh no she'll be a a perfect target audience for any ruby merch wasn't that sort of the old john lewis one with monty the penguin as well didn't they make monty and Mm. sell him quite successfully yeah yeah i mean the the, the interesting thing with john lewis actually very interesting creative strategy because they they changed every single year Mm. so they had a different character which i always thought was a shame i mean that some of their work is absolutely brilliant i mean Mm. excitable edgar was their best it got a 5.9 it's the highest scoring ad on our database ever absolutely brilliant and then the following year they'll make one that's a two star it's really frustrating you know it's like oh you, you you you've created something magical you've literally knocked out the park and then I, I guess I, I guess Christmas in the UK has become a competition. Yes, it's the anticipation, isn't it, of what's yeah, what's someone going to do? But I, I, I do I do wish that it's, it's stuck on some some of that. But if you look at Super Bowl campaigns, they often bring back same characters, don't they? You know, the beer brands and whatnot do. Um, yeah, you know, M and M's M and M's characters are, are a brilliant example. Yeah, because. Yeah. I mean, you can change the story, you can change, you know, you completely change everything. But if you've got the character as the consistent asset, then in, in consumers' minds, they immediately know where they are with, with, with the brand and they know who it is. They, know, they, they, they have the previous plots in their head. And it, it's a real, the other, actually, the other, the other great media tip for this is, so there's, there's a UK insurance ad called, insurance brand called Churchill, and it's got this cute dog, right? It's kind of this, it's kind of, kind of, this dog does this kind of, kind of thing going on. It's quite funny. And you go, what, what is it, right? You know, even that is like, everyone goes, oh yeah, that's Churchill the dog, right? It's a look and a, a sound and, and you know where you are. The insurance market is ridiculously cluttered. Yes. Ridiculously cluttered. There are, I mean, probably two, three hundred different brands, you know, all competing. And but the amazing thing with Churchill, the, the, the uh, direct line who owned the brand, had this beautiful TV ad with with Churchill on a skateboard, <laughs> right? And he's just like he's cruising down the street with kind of like looking cool. There's this lovely chilled out music, and that the idea was Churchill. Like <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> Shouldn't every insurance be this easy? You know, and it's just like if only insurance felt like this all the time, or it's something like that. Yeah, and it, it's just that that got well, it got four point. I think it was four point nine or five stars. Yeah, but what was fascinating about it was when we tested all the digital assets, the cut downs, the five seconds, the digital ones, it got the same score, and it was just because it was a shortcut. It's people people saw the dog, they they did, they knew the brand. And and they they because it was associated with the the big master brand campaign, all that emotion was kept in a five second digital ad. Now you hardly ever see that, and I think your campaign's got that potential to. Yeah, well, br- branding is more than half the job, isn't it? Just making sure that you've you've embedded that in somebody's mind, and then you you end up using all these sort of reminder mediums, reminder channels, and it just reinforces it time and time again. But you, however, you have to do, you have to establish that character. You have to establish the emotional connection to it. And then all those other channels work really, really well and, and, and that much harder. But you got to do your hard yards yeah. at first. You got to do it. Long, long, long-term investment, isn't it? And, yeah. And well done for, for taking that view. Look, I, I thought we'd end on some some good news here. And I feel I should have brought the champagne along with me. So so virtually we're gonna have to <laughs> we'll have to do the champagne when I next see you in person. But I I I I thought, you know, you've been doing some great work for the last couple of years, we've been working together. Uh, so let's find out who the top advertisers in the UK, if you take everybody's work. Add it all together. What are the top five? So let me count the top five down for you here. So, <laughs> drum roll. Um, in number five, drum roll here. So number five, the fifth most effective advertiser on our database in the UK, by the way. So in the UK, we, we've test. It's the only market we test everything except for government advertising and gambling, right? right. So apart from that, we test everything. So this is like a total, you know, competition of everybody. Do tourism ads fall okay. in government then? Or is it, are you talking about like government? No, 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 no. As in, as government, as in do your tax return right, okay, on the yeah. 31st of January or, or you get a hundred pound fine, which is that, that's, 
for me, the worst performing ad of all time. It's like, I don't need to be told off for not doing my tax return. <laughs> give me an incentive. Don't don't give me a punishment. Anyway, so n- number five, Beer Moretti is, is number five with an average star rating across all their advertising of 4.1. So beer advertising, a very good category. Is what, it's interesting because it's a category that's hard to distinguish yourself. And so, you know, there's a lot, a lot of investment in motion, but Beer Moretti is number one beer brand on our database. So very impressive. Number four, category I quite enjoy here, Hagen Das, the ice cream brand. Again, there are some categories where you just have to show the product yeah. and it's worth three stars, yes, right? Yes, yes, get so, people's mouth watering. You know, yes, beer and, beer and ice yeah, cream, just, I get just, it. Just, 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 <laughs> just show, me, show me the goods and, and you're kind of halfway there. So that's a 4.1 star. Number three on the same theme that i mean literally there's 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 a you know arms race for ice cream advertisers magnum ice cream well that's got the dual benefit of having chocolate though right the magnums so i get that right okay you're on a winner <laughs> they've they've built that up over many many years now the second most effective advertiser on our database in the uk very 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 famous brand cadbury Obviously, uh, if, if ever there was a brand in the hearts of, of you know, british the british people cadbury dairy milk Averages 4.7. Yeah, totally. Ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. The top advertiser in the UK is Tourism Australia with 4.8 stars average. Amazing. Thank you. Frame it. Take it to your next review. Do I get a certificate? I'd really like that. (laughs) The certificate is coming your way. Bottle of pink champagne. (laughs) Put it in your year-end review. So well done. The team will be very chuffed at that and very proud of that. They work very hard. So God, let's just hope that that converts into, you know, visitation and spend because we offer the best holidays that anyone in the UK could ever hope to have. There you go. There you go. Well, what better advert for going to see Australia? And how are visitors going as well? Have you seen a good... A good response since February? Yeah, well, look, we are, we're still growing. We're sort of at about 44% or so of international visitation sort of pre, pre-pandemic. pre So we have a ways to go, but it's steadily getting there. I think we're starting to see month-on-month increases of around, I think, 7% or so now. So it'll take some time to rebuild, certainly, but we're getting there. And you couldn't have got off to a better start with your campaign. So oh, well done. thank Absolutely you. Brilliant thank work. you. And, uh, anyone listening that wants to get some inspiration, go check it out. It's a fantastic campaign and it does all the things that great campaigns should do. So uh, thank you, John. Thank you so much for sharing it all with us. And thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you and your team actually for your help and support over the last couple of years as we kind of honed the creative and got it stronger and stronger. I have to say, it's also lovely when you work with with with, with someone that cares so much about the guidance and the data and 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 takes it all so seriously. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, the worst thing is when you you, you put lots of heart and soul into giving you know, people feedback and they don't use it, but I can yeah. definitely say you've taken all, you've taken it all on board. And, well, it's ma- it truly has made the work better, you know. And and look, what we do, you know, it is that sort of art and science, and and having having the data really helped us, and it helped MC Sachi, the creative agency who came up with the campaign, make the work that much better. And I'm really excited to, to see how it performs in the in the long run, and and where we take Ruby next. Brilliant. Thank you, Susan, so much. Thank you. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Uncensored CMO. Thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. If you'd like to find out more and never miss an episode, then please do subscribe. Go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, and hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to leave me a review, they are much, much appreciated. I do genuinely value the feedback. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do. I'm over at Twitter, at Uncensored CMO. Also, you'll find me at LinkedIn, John Evans. That's John without an H. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.